Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to church, uh, church of a different kind. Uh, it's nice to be with you today. I hope you've been able to tune in all right and join us uh, for our worship this morning. Um, I had hoped to deliver this service in my pyjamas, but Rona wouldn't let me. Um, so I am dressed kind of clerically today. I may not in the weeks to come. We'll see how it goes. But the definite advantage of doing this from home is that I get to have a wee cup of tea. And I hope you're sitting with a cup of tea too. Uh, and just ready to join one another in worship as best we can during these times. Um, so we're going to begin with our first hymn, uh, recorded earlier this week by the McEwen family, and it's Dear Lord and Father of Mankind, and the words will come up on the screen. Let us pray. 
Eternal Father, we ask you to bless us in this time with a peace that comes from you alone. From the recognition that whatever life brings us, faith can trust that all will be well, even in times of struggle. For this world, our lives and our loves are held in your hands, both now and in eternity. In these challenging days, we lean into what we know of you and see of you in Christ. Your compassion, your truth-telling, your co-suffering love. And we remember that you promise to help us find a path through our troubles, not a way around them. And that you will never leave us or forsake us. So drop your still dews of quietness till all our strivings cease. Take from our souls the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of your peace. Lord, in our confinement, help us rediscover that inner freedom and fullness that live in the simple things in each breath we take and knowing that we have a roof over our heads and remembering that there's a difference between wanting something and needing something in the love of family and community however expressed in all the things that we might usually take for granted And Lord, we remember that inner freedom also invites the gift of generosity to continue to give where we can, to support one another as we're able and go the extra mile, to offer a welcome smile and forget the more formal handshake of yesterday, to be what we have always been called to be, to be truly human. Father, in the middle of this crisis, help us understand that although health is our main concern, there is a deeper challenge and opportunity just now to use this time to reflect on the gift of life itself. To ask not just, can we stay alive? But what are we staying alive for? What really matters? And as ever we have your answer in the scriptures because only three things last forever and have currency in this life and the next and they are faith, hope and love. So help us as we try in your strength to live from them and forgive us when we fail and make choices out of fear, despair or selfishness as we learn to rest in you, may we find calm and peace in every new day, for in the middle of every storm, the eye of your presence is found and freedom in Christ remains. So Lord, we sum up all our prayers in the words that Jesus taught us saying together, 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we've two readings this morning. Uh, the first is from Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs, or tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? And our other reading also comes from the Old Testament. It's Jeremiah 29 and reading from verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Amen. It wasn't easy deciding what to uh, say to you this morning in the light of everything that's been happening. But as I thought about um, today, I realised that there were really two sets of people that I wanted to be uh, speaking to this morning. The first set, which my guess is probably a good a good number of you, is you're probably feeling scared. Um, you're wondering about the inconvenience of what's happening and the difficulties of staying at home and the, the practical things about shopping and seeing friends and family. But you're beginning to get used to the idea that we're just going to have to knuckle down and get on with it. And there might even be a silver lining or two uh, in this situation. If we look carefully, we might just find them. That's the first group. The second group, I think a smaller group, but a very significant group, is those for whom what's been happening over the last wee while is just unremittingly bleak. The particular challenges and burdens of your life circumstances mean that this has hit you or is hitting you or is going to hit you uh, harder than most other people. And your question today is, how the heck am I going to get through this? So I want to try and say something um, to both sets of people this morning. I'm going to start with those um, for whom it's just it's a difficulty and an, an inconvenience, something we're having to try and work through. I'm going to tell you a story, and I know I've told this before, but I do love this story. And I remember that Jesus was a storyteller first and foremost, and there's a power in stories and a, a truth in them. So this is the story of the unluckiest man in the world. 
Once upon a time, there was a man who felt he was the unluckiest man in the world. Nothing ever seemed to go right for him and he got really frustrated with his life. So he decided that what he would do would be to go and see the wise old woman at the end of the world and ask her why he was the unluckiest man in the world and what he should do about it. And so he travelled for a day, a week, a month and a year. And he came one evening in a wet, dark night to a cave in a cliff and he took shelter there. And in this cave there was a great big mangy wolf, the biggest wolf he'd ever seen, but it was in a poor condition, very threadbare and his teeth were beginning to fall out. It really wasn't in good shape. And so they got talking, the wolf said, so where are, where are you going? Well, I'm going to the edge of the world to see the, the old lady, to the wise old woman, to see if she can tell me why I'm the unluckiest man in the world. And the wolf said, well, if you see her, can you ask her why I'm just not feeling so good? Why I'm so thin and you can see my ribs and I, know, I just, I don't feel myself. Yes, yeah, sure, I can do that. And so the next morning he headed off and he travelled for a day, a week, a month and a year. And he came to a clearing in the forest and there in the middle of the forest was this poor little tree that was far smaller than all the other trees around it. It sat alone by itself in this clearing, but it clearly wasn't growing properly. And he sat down underneath it to have his lunch and the tree started talking to them, as trees did in this world. And the tree said, where are you going? He said, well, I'm going to the end of the world to see the, the old woman, to find out why I'm the unluckiest man in the world and what I can do about it. And the tree said, oh, well, if you see the old wise woman, could you ask her why I'm not growing properly? I just don't understand it. All my trees around me here are doing far better than I am and I don't know what's going on. And the guy said, yeah, sure, I can do that for you. And so he stayed there that night and travelled on the next day. And in fact, he travelled for a day, a week, a month and a year. And he came to this beautiful country house surrounded with incredible gardens. And there in the middle of the gardens tending them was a beautiful woman um, who just looked lovely. And he got talking to her. And uh, she said, oh, where are you going? He says, well, I'm going to the end of the world. I want to meet the wise old woman and ask her why I'm the unluckiest man in the world and what I can do about it. And she said, oh, I wonder if you get there, if you could maybe ask her something for me. You know, I've got all this stuff here. I've got a beautiful house, a beautiful home, this lovely garden to tend. And still my heart's not full. I don't know what's wrong. Could you ask her that for me? He said, nah, no problem. I'll do that. So we travelled on for a day, a week, a month and a year. And he came at last to the old woman at the edge of the world and he explained the situation to her he told her all of the story that I've told you today and she nodded in the way that wise old women do and she says I know the exact problem the problem is you're not the unluckiest man in the world you're the stupidest man in the world and what you need to do is to take your opportunities when they're right, right there under your nose she says, ah, right, okay. So I've got to take my opportunities. That's what I have to do. Yes, that's what you have to do. Right, I'll do that. And he was about to head off and then he remembered that he had to ask about the girl and about the tree and about the wolf. So he did and he got his answer. And so he went back, travelled a day, a week, a month and a year. And there was the girl still out uh, tending her garden in the beautiful big house. She says, hello. He says, listen, I know what it is. The wise old woman told me that you're lonely and that you need to share your life with someone. And if you did that, you would have contentment and your heart would be full. And she said, oh, right. Well, that's fine. 
Well, you're not a half bad looking lad. What about you? Do you want to come and spend your life with me? They said, oh, no, I can't do that. I've got to go and look for my opportunities in life. So we travelled for a day, a week, a month and a year. And they came to that same wee clearing in the forest. And there in the forest was the same tree still not growing very well. And the tree spoke, ah, it's you again. Did you manage to see the wise old woman? Yes, I did, I did. And she says that the problem with you is that many years ago, a pirate came and buried his treasure here in a big chest and then he planted you on top of it as a wee seed and your roots are not growing properly because they can't get down into the soil. So if somebody just digs up the treasure chest, you'll grow fine. All right, what about you, said the tree? I can't do that. I've got to go look for my opportunities in life. And so he went off and travelled for a day, a week, a month and a year. And he came back to that same cave and there was the wolf and sure enough the wolf was looking in very poor condition by this stage and he said oh it's you again did you manage to meet the the wise old woman at the end of the world yes i did said the wolf or said the man um and she told me something she said that the reason that you're in the state that you're in just now is because you're really hungry and you haven't had a good meal in ages and what you really need to do is to eat the first idiot that you come across and with that the wolf gave a smile and licked his lips and set about his dinner The story of the unluckiest man in the world, or perhaps the stupidest man in the world, is all about teaching us not to miss the opportunities that are under our noses. And I want to suggest that even in these times, even in these times, there are opportunities to be found if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. I remember years ago my friend Matt uh, managed to rupture his Achilles tendon in the build up to Christmas, the worst possible time of year for a minister to get injured in that way and he had to wear one of these um, ski boot things to hold his, his tendon in place. And I remember saying to him at the time, what a really bad luck, what a lousy time uh, to, to hurt yourself in that way, it must be really frustrating. And I said, well you'd be surprised, I'm actually learning quite a lot through it. I'm learning that I have to slow down. I'm just not able to do all the stuff that I would normally do. So I'm having to slow down and I'm having to prioritise what I do and think about what's really important. He said, I'm having to rely on other people for lifts because I can't drive anymore. And that's given me an opportunity to, to lean into people's help and also to get to know some people that I hadn't known so well. I'm having to delegate. I'm having to get better at saying no. And all of this he said, is actually quite humbling, just seeing the kindness of people being exercised in that way. So even in that difficult situation, there were things that were good that were coming out of it and that he was learning. Or I think of, I think it's almost 10 years ago now, we had some really heavy falls of snow and people in the northeast know all about this. The, the days and indeed the weeks where the country is pretty much paralysed because a heavy fall of snow has come in. And we just have to make choices. That Dunkirk spirit comes out, people reassess their priorities, they do the essentials, they check on their neighbours, and as your horizons shrink, we maybe start to spend more time with each other at home. We talk more, we get the board games out, we eat, 
We watch movies together. There's goodness that comes out of the difficulty and the challenge. And there are opportunities to learn and to grow even in those challenging times. A few weeks ago I put up a, a picture on, on the Facebook page and it was a quotation by Eugene Peterson and he said there is no place on earth without the potential for unearthing holiness. There's no place on earth without the potential for unearthing holiness and we know this in the church. We know the stories of Moses and Joseph and Esther and Ruth and Paul, all the difficulties that they had in life and, and came through. God didn't preserve him, preserve them from troubles, but he preserved them in the troubles. And sometimes I think we find that life's biggest lessons are learned in the most unpromising places and times. And the readings that we heard earlier are from one such time in Israel's history. Most people know the story of the Exodus. You know, the time when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, led by Moses, with signs and wonders, with plagues, uh, the parting of the Red Sea, and then wandering through the desert, Ten Commandments, and all of that stuff until they eventually settled in the Promised Land. So they left slavery and got their freedom in the Promised Land. But what fewer folk know is that something like a thousand years later, the people of Israel were back in captivity again. In 587 BC, after a two-year-long siege during which thousands died of starvation, the Babylonians finally got into Jerusalem and their soldiers did what soldiers do in these circumstances. They killed, they raped, they looted, they burned. God's city, as Israel thought of it, was laid waste. The last Israelite king, Zedekiah, was marched out in chains and made to watch as all of his sons were executed in front of him. That was the last thing he saw before they gouged out his eyes. The survivors who showed any promise were marched off to Babylon as slaves and the rest were just left to rot in the smoking ruin that had been their city. It could not have felt more like the end. And that's the context of Psalm 137. I didn't read it all to you this morning, it's too distressing. But that is why the Israels wept by the rivers of Babylon. They were exiled from their home and that home was in ruins and it looked for all the world like God had abandoned them. It could not have been a more unpromising situation. But into that, the prophet Jeremiah, who lived through these times, spoke these words from God to the exiles. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, have grandchildren, increase in number and seek the peace and prosperity of the place to which I've carried you in exile. God is telling them that there's life to be found even in exile. 
Elsewhere in Jeremiah, he promises that their time away won't last forever and one day they will return home. But for now, they need to make the best of it, right where they are, and to try and live as normally as they can. And in this time in exile, Israel discovers that what really matters isn't Jerusalem and it isn't the temple or even their rituals. It's their calling to be God's people wherever they are. And they also realise that their God wasn't just one among many of the tribal deities. He was the God of the whole world, even of those accursed Babylonians. And when you read through the Bible, you see that progression as the prophets of the exile begin to understand and write about the wideness of God's purposes. It's not just about them and Israel. It's about the whole world. They learn in exile. And maybe that's a word for us in our exile. This desert of isolation that we haven't chosen. None of us want to be here. But now we are here. Do we believe that somehow God can bring good out of it? I think he can. If we're able to ask the right questions. And ask them out of the right spirit. Are we operating out of fear or out of faith? Fear asks, why is this happening? Faith asks, how can I respond to what's happening? Fear asks, where is God in this? Faith asks, where can I see God at work in this? Fear asks, when will this end? Faith asks, how can I stay strong and fruitful until this ends? None of us would have chosen this and we're going to have to be creative over the next few months as we adapt to new ways of living. But I'm convinced that there are opportunities in this exile. And we're already seeing the first fruits of that as people reach out to one another with kindness and concern and generosity. So as you self-isolate or socially distance, whatever you want to call it, I'd encourage you to be looking for the opportunities. Not just to do the gardening with the spring cleaning, tidy your bookshelves, good things those are. Ask yourself where you can start to build relationships with people, even as we have to stay away, away from them. How can we nurture the spiritual practices that are going to help us to keep perspective and retain hope in these very challenging times? There is life to be found in exile, I believe. We just have to ask the right questions to find it. I guess that for most of us, that's not too hard a message to hear today. But I know that for others, any idea that there's anything positive to be found in this situation is going to ring hollow this morning. You're overwhelmed. The fallout from this virus is turning your life upside down and making it ten times harder than it could have been.
Some of us are just worried about getting bored from enforced rest. But you can't even begin to guess what your life's going to look like in three weeks' time, let alone three months. And I get that. And the first thing you need to know is that we are with you in this. It's hard to know how you can be of practical help to people these days. And that might get worse as the crisis continues if we have to completely isolate. But if we can help, we will. We will try and find ways. But the second thing I think I need to say to you today is best summed up in a meme that I posted a few weeks ago on our Facebook page. After 25 years in ministry, where I've seen pretty much all the kinds of sadness that life has to offer, this is what I hold to be true. God doesn't stop the bad things from happening. That's never been part of the promise. The promise is, I am with you. I am with you now till the end of time. We're not alone in this. God walks with us every step of the way and he will be with you as you rise to the challenges of these next few weeks and months. We're going to pray together now. Uh, some of you might have seen uh, the wee video I put on Facebook about a prayer that you can do as you wash your hands. I'm encouraging you to think of it in this way. Um, think of your thumb, the thing that, ho that holds things in place when you close your hand. Think about that as the people who are holding things together for us just now, particularly the medical staff uh, working so hard to do all of that. The index fingers for those who try to point the way and to lead. The middle finger is thinking about those who are in the middle of all of this, maybe suffering from the illness or self-isolating. The ring finger is for the people that we love and care for and want to see well. And the little finger is for the folk who are infirm, weak or vulnerable or elderly in our community and remembering to do what we can to help them. So in this prayer, we're going to use a short response. When I say, Lord, in your mercy, I'd invite you to respond, hear our prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray for those who are trying to hold things together, even as they try to hold themselves together. We remember the exhausted healthcare workers in primary and secondary care the staff in care homes, including our own Balmeri House. We remember parents trying to reassure children and look after older members of the family at the same time. Those going the extra mile to try and make sure that essential services keep going. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We remember those trying to lead and give direction at this time. Those who carry responsibility in their organisations, trying to chart a way through these changing waters. Those stewarding and mobilising resources to the places where they're most needed. 
those trying to keep our spirits up in different ways, those trying to set national policy, and those at the forefront of the search for a vaccine. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those who are right in the middle of all this, those who are already ill with coronavirus and those self-isolating because they suspect that they might have it. Those with existing conditions who will struggle to get the care they need in this crisis because the NHS is so overburdened. Those whose businesses are on the brink or jobs on the line. Those offering pastoral care to the bereaved and the dying. Those forced to isolate without the skills or equipment to keep in touch through social media. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We remember those we love, Lord, and we take a moment to name them in our hearts, thanking you for them and praying that they would keep well. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We remember the infirm and the vulnerable in our community. Thank you for the groundswell of support that's rising up as people prepare to help them. Help us build trust and relationships. Help us notice the folk who would fall through the cracks and get missed. And Lord, if we can be a part of the answer to our own prayers this morning, so let it be. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is Christ Be Our Light.
Go now and may the peace of Christ sustain you in exile. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.